please join and open the word to Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you, Sean. Father, we are grateful for all that you have done for us, for the, the wonderful accomplishment that this day represents of you stepping into human flesh. And it is your praises, Lord Jesus, that we have been singing. And it is good to sing your praises. It is good to praise your name. It is good to delight in who you are. And it is good to rejoice in your holiness and in your power and in your goodness. And Lord, we would ask that your word would change us in ways that are appropriate. Lord, we have studied your word. We've heard this particular passage many times. But once again, we would ask that as we humbly come to your word, would you change us in whatever ways we need to be changed? Lord, your word tells us that we are, as your children, ever increasingly being changed and conformed into the image of Christ. And we would ask that that would continue even this morning as we worship you and continue to worship you in song and in word. Would you change us? And so, Lord, we praise your name. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Christmas is a wonderful season. It is both a season and a day when we uh, give in particular ways that we don't throughout the rest of the year. Uh, for example, we, we give greetings. Uh, we say Merry Christmas to 
Anybody, people we don't even know, we actually speak to strangers. It is a strange time of year. And we give greetings. Um, and I just wonder what in the world would happen if we were to continue that sort of um, happiness throughout the whole course of the year, if we were to extend such greetings. Um, and yet we give greetings. We, some of us who plan well enough in advance, uh, we actually send out cards of greeting and to those that we love and uh, are, are um, wanting to, to, to greet of, for the new year. Um, you didn't get one from the Cravens family because we didn't plan well enough, but uh, many of you did send cards, and they're on my kitchen wall. If you sent pictures, I, they're on the wall. And uh, it's nice to, um, to look at faces and see uh, God's goodness. Um, I see many of you. I'm looking at your faces now. I'm looking at the wall in the kitchen. And yet there's this kind of giving that happens throughout the course of the year. And... Um, Yet we see that spirit of giving actually comes from God. God is a giver. He is the greatest giver. And what I see in this particular passage is uh, at, at least three things that God has given to us. And, and I pray that you would um, receive them as a gift. Um, we're going to just talk about them just for a minute and, and hopefully celebrate together. But there are at least three reasons. The first is God gives his attention, his concern to mankind, us lowly nobodies, the creator of heaven gives attention to. That's what we'll see. We also see that God gives grace and mercy to those who fear him. He gives grace and mercy. There's a difference between those two things. God gives grace and mercy to those who fear him. And then finally, he, he gives his own son as a savior. And I pray that all of those three things, as we think about them, we'll just think about them briefly together, but I pray they'd be a blessing to you as you think about um, this particular day and, and the giving that God has done to us. So let's just look at them. The first couple of verses is where I see God giving attention and concern to man. So I'm just going to read that uh, one more time, verses uh, 26 and 27. But we see God in heaven. This is where the, the action starts in this particular passage. God is in heaven, and yet his concern is with Nazareth, a little tiny nothing of a city, and yet God has got his mind on Nazareth. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, uh, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And that's just astonishing to me because the, the action begins in the throne room of heaven because this angel is sent from God from God. We know God reigns in heaven and he gives a command and, and the Gabriel, angel Gabriel goes out to Nazareth is, is where he is headed. And so the attention of God in heaven is on a particular city on earth. And I tried to imagine what that might be like for, I mean, how many of you struggle to give your attention to anything standing in front of you for more than five minutes? And yet the attention of God is, it zooms in onto Nazareth. And I tried to wonder, what in the world does that even look like as God gives this command and out of all the nations in the world, he zooms in on the nation of Israel and out of all the cities in Israel, it's Nazareth. And out of all the clan in Nazareth, there's a family, the house of David. And out of all the families in the house of David, there's one couple, Joseph and, and Mary. That's, that's the attention of God. And so God is amazing. He's the ruler of the universe. 
He's the highest of the high. He is the most glorious being of all there who exist. He's the highest ruler of all rulers. He's the greatest governor of all governors. And, and yet he gives attention to little individuals? That's astonishing to me. And it, it makes me want to, to weep to think that this is the kind of God we serve. He gives attention to little nobodies. Now, Mary is, is the, the focus of the attention here in this passage. And she's betrothed, we are told. That usually took place not long after um, puberty. And so she's in her early teens. So, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you're tempted to think nobody cares. Nobody's concerned about you. It's either that or you're the center of the universe, one or the other. That's kind of the extremes that we go through. And yet here, um, God's focus and his attention and his concern zooms in on this little teenager called Mary and sends an angel to speak to her. It's absolutely amazing to me. And even the language of the angel takes us from this high and lofty generality to a very specific person. Right, the angel, if, if you look in verse 28, he begins by saying, greetings, O favored one. That's kind of a general, impersonal address, and yet it very quickly turns personal. Mary gets confused after hearing this, and, and then notice what the angel says next. He says, do not be afraid, what? Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary. It is, it is this angel calling the name of this young lady to whom he has been sent. And you know the power in a name, right? If you're a teacher, you know the power of a name. How many of you are teachers in this room? There's a handful of you. If you know the, if you know the name of the student, you have his attention, right? We all know this. When the class starts and gathers in and everybody's talking and not paying attention and we're, we're having a good time chatting with one another, it's kind of like before the service starts, not very, un, very similar. And, and if you get somebody's name in class, Todd Cravens, are you seated in your seat? Are you, no ma'am, I'm not, I, you know. Andy Mills, we're ready for service, right? Andy looks at me, right? When, you, when someone says your name... You get the attention, unless you're like Andy and you just look away, right? <laughs> this angel said, Mary, I've come to you particularly. And what's, what's the point? The point here in these early verses is the God of the universe is carried and concerned about an individual. He's not so far removed from what is happening on this earth that he is unable to pay attention to the details of your life. This is the God who gives. And what does he give? He gives individual, particular attention to his children. He knows your name. He knows your country. He knows your city. He knows your clan. He knows your family. He knows your house. He knows your spouse. God in heaven knows his people. I go home with that gift. God has enough bandwidth to not only run this universe, but be concerned about your life. He is that kind of God, and he is worthy of praise. And so worship him. Celebrate Christmas this year knowing that the God of the universe is the kind of God who thinks about individuals and is concerned about individuals. The second thing that God gives us, 
He gives grace and mercy to those who fear him. And I see this uh, particularly in, in verses 28 and 30. Right, God gives grace and mercy to those who fear him. So we'll start with grace, then we'll look at mercy. Let me just read those two verses. When you're studying scripture, look for repeated words because that, that will tell you what the passage is emphasizing. And in verse 28, greetings, O favored one. Right? We, this word favored we see uh, is, is arising and it's, it appears again in verse 30 when the angel says, now don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor. Now, these are two different words in the Greek, and they're both rooted in grace. So in verse 28, O favored one, that is kari too. You can, it's, they're both, the Greek word is charis, and you can hear it, the kari in that word. Um, it means to show kindness to someone of, because of graciousness on the part of the one who is showing the kindness. So this word points us back to something about God, not about Mary. She has been given favor because of the graciousness of God. It, it, she's unworthy of this. To receive something by grace, being having a gift of grace, means you're not deserving of it. And yet the favor has been bestowed. So that's verse 28. And then we see again in verse 30, the word is charis. This, this favor that has been shown is grace. And this word appears about 160 times in Scripture, and 130 of them is just translated as grace. It just means God is being gracious to you. So what's the point of these words is Mary's not worthy of this kindness, this favor that she has been shown. It's rooted in a generosity of heart in the character of God. So Mary is being shown favor and grace not because she's worthy of it, but because God has simply decided to be kind to her. And her own response to this and uh, the testimony that we'll see in just a minute, a, a few verses later, point us there. For example, when the angel comes to her and he says, greetings, O favored one, her response is, who's he talking to? She's, she's greatly troubled and she tries to discern what this means, which means she's confused. She does not understand what he's talking about. And then he goes on and he says, oh, favored one. She's struggling to figure it out. She does not say, yeah, Gabriel, you're right. <laughs> I'm pretty favored. She, she, she's perplexed. I, I, I don't get what he's talking about. And, and then when what we call the Magnificat, later when she sings a song of praise, we, we get an understanding. She just reveals, she, she understands herself to be a humble servant. So she sees herself as. Not some great and worthy person. In fact, if you, in your scripture, flip down with me to verse 46. Let me just read 46 to 50. All right, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That's her view of herself. I'm just a humble servant. I don't, I don't know why God has given me such attention or this incredible blessing. He's just, I'm just a humble servant and yet he's looked upon me with amazing favor. And this is why she bursts out in such great praise because she's overwhelmed at the gift of grace that has been given her because it's not commensurate with her understanding of herself. And so she exalts the Lord in great praise. She has been shown favor and grace. And, and we keep going. 
Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So she's praising God for the grace that has been given to her and, and so grace is that giving of undeserved favor and yet she also sees what's happening as an act of mercy. You see that in verse 50, right? Mercy is withholding punishment when it is within the power of one to give it. And so she understands not only has she been given grace, but she has been treated mercifully. So God has not treated her as she deserved, and he has given her something she does not deserve. That's grace and mercy. And, and this is exactly what we see in Psalm 103. This is what mercy is, right? Psalm 103.10 says this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's mercy. He, he withholds judgment that he otherwise could give. He, he withholds that, and in place, he gives what we don't deserve. And, and, and that is what Mary is praising God for. He's given grace. He's also been merciful to her. And, and who, who, who receives such wonderful gifts? Verse 50 tells us it is for those who fear him. Right? If God's mercy is for those who fear him, what Mary is saying is, I, I'm one who fears the Lord. And what is the fear of the Lord? It's not a topic we talk about very much, but quickly, it, it is holding God in proper esteem and awe and worship. It, it is obeying him. It is if you, if you fear the Lord, you alter your behavior so that you can please the, the, the Lord whom you're serving. That's the fear of the Lord, is understanding the things that he wants, the things that he commands, and it is living accordingly. It is living out of obedience to him because you don't want to displease the Lord. You want to please him. The fear comes from the fear of his displeasure. And so because of your love and respect of God, you obey him. And one thing that absolutely astounds me here is there is a particular area of obedience that we see in Mary and Joseph which is never, never praised in our culture. And, and they have kept themselves sexually pure. Joseph and Mary are engaged. Mary is a virgin. They have not sinned sexually with one another. And, and we know what God's word is concerning our sexuality. God has lots of opinions about the sexuality that he has given to us. And, and these two have, have obeyed the Lord and not sexually sinned. And because of that, they are in a place for God's favor to rest upon them in this instance. And because this issue is, is not praised in our culture, I, I think it is something that we need to think about. Parents, you need to teach your children what God's opinion of sexuality is. Because if you don't, this world certainly will. And, and God's word is abundantly clear that he yearns for us to keep ourselves sexually pure before marriage and, after, and faithful after marriage. One verse I will show you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 says this. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And, and the word there is porneia. 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Right? Sexual immorality refers to any kind of sexual activity outside the covenant bond of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what it refers to. And so all is uh, forbidden by God. That's his will is sexual purity. And so here's, here's the will of God for you. Know how to control your body. And, and those who don't are those who don't know God is what this text says. Mary and Joseph knew how to control themselves. And, and so they had uh, kept their relationship pure before the Lord. And because of that, they were able to stay in a place of blessing. And, and I just wonder if, if God had delayed sending the Messiah to today, who among us would qualify? Who, who, what engaged couples would be in a place to receive that blessing? Right? And yet, many of us have failed in this area. And, and our sin is not the end of the story. God is a God who gives grace undeserved favor and mercy withholds judgment to those who fear him. It's never too late to begin to live your life in the fear of the Lord. God, there's grace for us, there is mercy, and there's great blessing. And so I invite you, receive this aspect of God's character as a gift of grace and mercy, for there is forgiveness. And in fact, that leads us into the very next gift, which is the reason why Jesus came was because of our sin. God gives Jesus, this is the third gift that we see, God gives Jesus as the source of, of solving our sin problem. God gives his son as a savior from sins. And we see that in verses 31 to 35. Gabriel's word to Mary highlights at least three things about Jesus. He's the son of woman, he is the son of God, and he's also the son of David. So I'll talk about son of woman and son of God just for a minute. Verse 31, behold, says Gabriel, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, he will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, when you hear the, the notion spoken of as the son of woman or the, the seed of woman or offspring of woman, which this is what's happening here. He's saying you're, you're gonna have a son, you're gonna have a, a, an offspring, Mary, the first time we see that in scripture is in Genesis. When, when God speaks uh, after the fall to Satan and he says that a son of woman, I, I will send a son of woman who will crush your head. I, I will send a descendant of a woman who, who, who will bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So this promise of a son who is a deliverer the first time we see it takes us all the way back to the beginning of the book when all of the problems began in Genesis. And so this language forces us to think, is, is this what God is doing? Is he undoing the curse from the beginning by sending this son? Is he the one? 
See the one who will undo this curse? And the name gives us a clue. Yes, sin entered the world. The curse entered the world because of sin. And now Jesus will come and his name will give us a clue of what he's going to do. And we're told Jesus is to be the name of this son who is to be born. The meaning of Jesus' name is Yahweh saves. So Yeshua is, is Jesus' name in Hebrew, means Yahweh saves. And, and the question is, from what? Right, if Jesus, that's the point of his existence. His name describes his meaning in life, which is to come as a savior. But the question is to save from what? So not only does God give Jesus as a savior, he is intended to save from sin. And, and this is implied in his name, but in Matthew, when Gabriel spoke to Joseph, he makes it very clear. So let me point to you, uh, chapter one of Matthew, verses 20 and 21. When Gabriel says, I think it's Gabriel, we're just told it's an angel, but I think it's Gabriel, speaks to Joseph and he says, your, your betrothed wife will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from what? From sins. So, so there's the, the point of Jesus' coming. So God not only gives a savior, in general sense, he gives him with a particular expression of saving from sin. Why? Because that's our greatest problem. That is the thing which keeps us from a holy God. It is our sin. So how do you save from sin? Is by perfect holiness. And that's why Mary's confusion illustrates something about Jesus which is absolutely unique among all people who have ever existed on this planet and it is his complete holiness. So when, when she asks a question and she's confused, right, here's what the angel says, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And this overshadowing power of the Holy Spirit, that also takes us back to Genesis because in the very beginning of the book, we see, in fact, the first verse, right? The, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. He's, he's over the waters. And then God begins creation. And it is as if the command of God is, is effected by the Holy Spirit who gives life to the world. And so here, as the power of the Holy Spirit overshadows uh, Mary, it will be that God's command that a virgin conceive is fulfilled through the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Jesus will be called holy. So he is completely human. He is the son of woman, completely human, and yet he is completely without sin. And if you think, how could he be completely human if he didn't have an earthly father, then I would answer by saying the same way that Adam and Eve could be completely human and they didn't have earthly fathers. God created Adam directly and Eve out of a rib from Adam. They didn't have parents and yet they're completely and fully human. And, and so that's not a problem for God. And if you're wondering, well, how could he then be sinless? I would say the same way that God created Adam and Eve, sinless in the beginning, is the same way that he created Jesus sinless in the womb. So Jesus, fully human, yet fully and completely holy. And he has come to, to take away sin by completely obeying the will of God the Father. He never disobeyed. 
And, and there are literally dozens of instances where the holiness of Jesus is affirmed. But I just want to mention one to you because it's affirmed by an enemy. Matthew 27, the very end of Matthew, I think it's around verse 50 or 54, somewhere in that neighborhood. When Jesus is dying on the cross, there's a centurion who stands beside him. And, and I, I am quite certain this is a centurion who has presided over crucifixions, multiple crucifixions. And he stands, he watches Jesus die. And his response is, surely this man was the son of God. Something was completely unique about how Jesus died. This, this guy, he's not on Jesus' team. He's not part of the disciples. He's not a part of the propaganda or anything. He's, he's just doing his job. And what does he notice? I, this Jesus is, he's, he's incredible. He has to be the son of God. That's his conclusion. And so when we think about what's our greatest problem, it is sin. And Jesus, he had none of his own to die. For, and so he died for those who would put their faith in him. That's why God sent him. God gave Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all who would put faith in him. Celebrate that this Christmas. Go home remembering that great gift. So God is a great giver. He gives his attention and his concern to specific individuals. He, he also gives grace and mercy for those who fear him, who obey him. And, and part of the will of God is that we put our faith in the righteousness of Jesus because we don't have any of our own. We don't have any of our own at all. So put your faith in Jesus because he is the gift whom God has given to save us from our sins. So let's pray together. Jesus, we are celebrating your birthday today. Um, we don't know if this was the actual day, but we do know you were actually born. And so we celebrate your birth today. And we are thrilled for you stepping out of heaven and into this earth. And we are thrilled that you were perfectly righteous and you never sinned. And we praise you for that. And Father God, we praise you for being a gift-giving God. Thank you for giving your attention to us. Thank you for giving us grace, showing us favor that we do not deserve. And thank you for giving us mercy, for withholding the punishment that we do deserve. And thank you for sending Jesus to accomplish our salvation. Our faith is in him. Our wholehearted faith is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that would be true for every person in this room. And it can be true today. If, if you are hearing my voice and you have not surrendered your life to Christ and not cried out for forgiveness of sin, that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness can be yours today. And Jesus, we praise you for making all of this possible. And it is with great joy that we celebrate the day of your birth. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.